Welcome to First Baptist Church Decatur's Sermon of the Week. Today's sermon is from Reverend Dr. David Gushing. Have I mentioned my 28-month-old grandson Jonah in the last five minutes or so? There he is with my wife Jeannie on the screen. Recently, I was walking Jonah. I, I have volunteered to, to take him every Friday afternoon. And that's, that time is unavailable to any other human being, only Jonah. And so Jonah was sitting in his little stroller. I mean, look at that face. Let's just pause here for a moment. All right, we can continue. All right, so he was sitting in his little green stroller, and we were paused waiting to cross the street. I've developed uh, this pattern of walking down towards the middle school around the time that the buses pick up the kids because he's crazy about school buses. And if I can give him an opportunity to see as many as 30 school buses, it's been a very successful afternoon. So as we waited to cross the street on one of these unseasonably warm Friday afternoons recently, an unexpected blee, uh, breeze blew in. His lovely blonde hair, have you noticed his lovely blonde hair? His lovely blonde hair blew in the breeze. I could see him turn his little face toward the breeze to get more of it because it was a warm day. And I, I said, Jonah, do you know what that is? That's called wind. Wind. You can't see it, but you can feel it. Doesn't it feel good? He had no comment on the matter, but we're, we're still having a conversation about it. You can't see it, but you can feel it. You can't see it, but you can feel it. Once there was a Jewish leader, a member of the Sanhedrin, who came to see Jesus. His name was Nicodemus. His clandestine visit to Jesus is sometimes called Nick at Night. Get it? Right? Is that good? Right? Good. That's as good as I've got today, so that's it. That's... Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, we assume because he's scared to go during the day. And he addresses Jesus with respect as rabbi, and he declares that he is confident that God is with him. He says there's something, some stuff that you're doing that could only come from God. All of that is good, but Jesus brushes right past it all and says with a line that some of us learned a long time ago, you must be born again. Nicodemus is like, now hold on a second. It was hard enough getting out of mama's womb the first time. Now I'm a grown man. What are you talking about? And Jesus is like, hold on a second. Didn't you pick any of this stuff up back in Pharisee school? Because you see, Nick, this religion stuff has a supernatural dimension to it. That's the point. If everything is explainable in ordinary human terms, it wouldn't really be much of a religion. There's something that goes beyond. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, don't be astonished that I said to you, you must be born again or born from above. The wind blows where it chooses. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus uses the language of wind. Wind. 
Don't you love a nice breeze? The language of wind to describe the experience of spiritual rebirth. He links wind with spirit. In fact, in both, in both Hebrew and Greek, the same, you, same word is used for wind and spirit. It's like interchangeable. There's just something about wind. You can't see it, but you can feel it. You don't know where it comes from or why, but you can see its effects when it blows through. You know when it has come by. You wish sometimes it would come by more often, but it doesn't. Kind of like God's Spirit. Today we're starting a new series that I'm calling All About the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, one motivation was the church calendar. In seven weeks, it culminates in Pentecost Sunday, which is the day that the church celebrates the Holy Spirit coming with power upon the first disciples. But more broadly, I have felt compelled during my interim pastorate here to try to tackle significant biblical and theological issues. Here's why. Sometimes I think that so-called moderate Baptist churches avoid theological substance so as not to expose or worsen theological divisions that might be there in our congregations, there to be discovered if we talk about anything that is really substantive. But my gut tells me that 25 years after the great Baptist Civil War, we need a deeper theological vision. The other side, the SBC side, also does, but that's their problem, not our problem. One thing that both the SBC side and what you might say the CBF side has in common, along with a lot of other Christians, is a discomfort in talking about the Holy Spirit of God. We never talk about the Holy Spirit. And maybe after seven weeks, you'll wish that I hadn't talked about the Holy Spirit. But here's what I think happened. My sense is that Baptists were scared of the 20th century Pentecostal and charismatic movements. These were heavily Holy Spirit-oriented movements that had all kinds of uh, wild manifestations of the Holy Spirit or what was believed to be the Holy Spirit. Baptists and a lot of other denominations did not want a lot of out-of-control expressions of the Holy Spirit breaking out in our church services and in our, uh, our life as a community. They were concerned that this would be divisive or just um, that it would get out of control. Maybe it would uh, have us disagreeing. Also, by the 1980s, we were very aware of those TV evangelists uh, duping people with claims about cured bunions and, and prosperity, miraculous prosperity and Holy Spirit power. Do you remember these characters from the 1980s? We didn't want to have anything to do with them. So we stayed away. I remember when I became a new Southern Baptist convert in 1978. I was 16 years old. And people gave me a lot of stuff because they wanted to get, have me get things right, right from the beginning. So somebody gave me uh, a King James Bible and a Living Bible, the two most opposite translations that there were. Figure it out, kid. They gave me that. They gave me Tim LaHaye's Late Great Planet Earth. They gave me that. They gave me W.A. Criswell, Why I Preach the Bible is Literally True. They gave me that. And they gave me a, a cassette tape series. Have you ever heard of cassettes? Remember those? 
And the cassette tape series was on why the charismatic movement was of the devil. That was also given to me in 1978. So there you go. They had it all, they had it all figured out. On this issue, as on a lot of other issues, I believe that it's not enough to say what we don't believe and what we don't do. We have to think through and decide and say what we do believe. And that is what I'm going to try to start doing here over these weeks, at least in a very preliminary way. In this seven-week series, we will have two younger voices join us. I'm going to see what they have to say. Our young adult minister, Matt Snyder, will preach next week on the voice of the Holy Spirit. And Shelley Woodruff will preach uh, in a couple weeks after that on the adoption of the Holy Spirit. So they will undoubtedly resolve any questions that I leave uh, unanswered. And if not, just ask Bob Williamson, who knows everything about this. All right. So what I want to do this morning is just look at, briefly at the three passages that I wanted us to read this morning and see what we can learn or intuit uh, or induce, you might say, about the Holy Spirit. So first, John chapter 3. In this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus draws a distinction between flesh and spirit, sarx and pneuma in Greek. Flesh in this passage does not seem to signal what is bad or evil, but it is what is human and natural. That's what is fleshly or flesh. So human reproductive processes are of the flesh in this sense. They are human. They are of this world. They can be explained by cause and effect. Anyone can understand them. So anyone can understand birth, but it's second birth that is not easy to understand. Spiritual rebirth. This is not of the flesh. It is of the Holy Spirit. It's not human and natural. It comes from God. It's supernatural. It's not explainable by cause and effect. It's explainable only as something that God does. I had such an experience in the summer of 1978. I still can't explain it, but I know what the effect was in my life. Did any of you have such an experience at some point? As with the wind, we can see the effects of a person being born again, but we cannot manufacture the experience. We cannot control it. We cannot capture it. We can hardly describe it, but we know it when we see it. Jesus is saying that it is only the Holy Spirit who can produce such an effect. If we want to be in relationship with God or born again, we must have the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit in John 3? At least this, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings spiritual rebirth to human beings who need it desperately. You might elaborate on this a little bit to say that the Holy Spirit is spirit, and human beings are also spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who can gain access to the human spirit to bring salvation and transformation. We need God's spirit to change our spirits. Only God's spirit has the power to get to the human spirit in this productive way, this transformative way. We need the Holy Spirit. So that's where we start. You must be born again by the Holy Spirit. There's plenty of talk about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, but it often reads a bit different than what we find in the New Testament. It feels kind of like an earlier understanding of God's Spirit. There's a development of the idea in the Bible. And in Isaiah 63, I think it's quite striking. It's a really important passage 
it starts off by saying, God's presence has been experienced by Israel in his miraculous saving acts of deliverance. The author says God is the, is the, the one who saves Israel from distress. God is the one who chose Israel from all the nations. God is the one who rescues Israel, redeems, and cares for Israel. But then in verse 10 it says, But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. It's interesting that the New Revised Standard Version does not capitalize the H and the S there. The Holy Spirit is put in lower case. And I think that's right because the passage is not attempting a Trinitarian formulation as in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a later theological development. Instead, the text in Isaiah is talking about the Spirit, little s, the character or essence of God. And the Spirit of God is holy. This is who God is. So when Israel became grossly unholy, God's Holy Spirit recoiled, and Israel went out of God's presence and lost access to God's power. This is what it meant for Israel to be judged. So God's power and presence are lost due to human sin. And so then, verses 11 through 14, has Israel lamenting, where is the one who put within them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to march at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them, remember talking about the Red Sea, who led them through the depths like a horse in the desert, they did not stumble. The Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. You led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. And so the text is basically saying, oh God, would you come back and grant your Holy Spirit to Israel again? But that is also to say to Israel, would you make yourself open to God's Spirit again? So if you had to extract a kind of a theology of Holy Spirit in Isaiah 63, it would go something like this. God's Spirit is holy, and God can choose to share His Spirit with human beings for God's own purposes in the world. And we want God to do this, and we pray for God to do this. When God grants people a share of his spirit, God's spirit gives people special power and strength, supernatural assistance, and even victory over enemies and challenges and temptations, and in the end, rest and peace. When people are gifted with a share of God's spirit, We experience things and we achieve things that we never could on our own. We need God's Spirit. Isaiah 63 also suggests that these gifts of God's Holy Spirit, when they come, are for God's greater purposes in the world. They bring God the glory. When God shows up in the power of His Spirit, it isn't and, and, people, and good things happen for people. It isn't so that we can say, look at how holy we are, but look at how holy God is. Look at how gracious and powerful God is. Look at the things that God can do. We need some Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, we meet Paul talking about the Holy Spirit. Paul had such a vivid theology of the Holy Spirit. Paul's theology is drenched in the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, Paul basically says, believers in Jesus have the Holy Spirit. And when we do, it brings life out of death, 
freedom out of bondage, peace out of distress, and power out of powerless futility. Who could not want some more of that? Life out of death, freedom out of bondage, peace out of distress, and power out of powerlessness. In verses 9 through 11, Paul further elaborates that the Spirit of God dwells in us. We are never alone because the Spirit of God is in us, both collectively and individually. We are carrying around the Holy Spirit. That's the idea. If this proves not to be the case, Paul suggests, we don't really belong to Christ, no matter what we say about ourselves. Believers are to exhibit the evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit through the rightness or the righteousness of our lives. This has some interesting implications. If there is moral growth and change in our lives, it comes as a gift of God's Spirit. So we can never take credit for it. But if there is not growth and change in our lives, it raises questions about the active role of the Spirit in our lives, the Spirit who wants to change us and make our lives right. In Romans 8, Paul also says that the same Spirit that changes us is the Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So you might say that resurrection power, the greatest power in the universe, is available for for us to transform us, to bring us from death to life, spiritually, morally, and eternally. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead will carry us to eternal life following Jesus, our resurrected Lord. This is core Christian doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So we've got it all figured out. Let me just summarize, okay? To the question, who is the Holy Spirit? The answer looks something like this from these texts. The Holy Spirit is God's Holy Spirit. The Christian tradition declares that God is both one and three. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity along with the Father and the Son. But the Holy Spirit does specific things for us, in us, through us. God chooses to share the Holy Spirit with people, with us. Not for our praise, but for God's own purposes in the world. These purposes include connecting people to God through spiritual rebirth, empowering people to a new kind of life, to growth, growth in character, growth in moral, um, you might say, moral decision-making, and the accomplishment of tasks that God gives us. And finally, access to eternal life. Paul clearly says, if you want to be a better person, get some more Holy Spirit. You want to be a healthier church, get some more Holy Spirit. You want to do what you believe God is is calling you to do, ask for more Holy Spirit. If you want eternal life, trust in the Holy Spirit. The mystery doesn't go away when we begin to put some language to it. In fact, our language is always inadequate. We are still dealing with something beyond description. But still, brothers and sisters, I know we have some experienced Christians in this room. I hope you can affirm through your own experience some of what at least we've been talking about this morning. Surely, like the wind, you and I have felt the breath of the Holy Spirit at times in our lives. We can't 
see it, but we can feel it. We have felt the effects of the Holy Spirit coming by. Maybe we remember a day when the Holy Spirit drew us into a saving relationship with Jesus. I remember a Friday afternoon when I wandered up the hill into a church for no good reason, with no plan, met the youth minister who happened to be there, and four days later I was a born-again Christian. I remember that. I believe the Holy Spirit was around that day. Maybe some of us can attest that you have felt the presence of God's Spirit in your heart as the things you wanted began to change. You, don't, you didn't want the American good life anymore. What you wanted to be was a faithful follower of Jesus. Maybe certain areas of temptation that had beset you, you began to get some victory over. That's the Holy Spirit. Your character began to develop to be more like Jesus, less broken and more whole. Addictions began to give way to uh, self-control and Hopelessness began to give way to hope. That's the Holy Spirit. Have you felt that? Maybe you felt the Holy Spirit when you realized, hey, I think I want to spend most of my time around other people who have the Holy Spirit in them. Because you sensed that we are who we hang out with the most and you wanted to be around other Holy Spirit-filled people because they make you better and, and you wanted to be that person. Maybe you can remember times when you ask God for some supernatural strength or or endurance or hope, and God granted it, when you were carried along in a time of great grief beyond anything you could have imagined on your own, God's Holy Spirit showed up. Maybe you had a terrible anxiety about a certain thing in your life, and you said, God, send some spirit. I need your help. And you were able to do what you never could have imagined doing. Maybe you also desire, as I do, to see this power at work in our congregation and in our world. Maybe you want to see more of God's Spirit and less of human uh, ingenuity or some combination. And you know, many of us, I think, can attest to having had times in churches in which it felt like everything was there except the Holy Spirit. And that's not what we want. Just as you don't have to see the wind to feel its refreshing effects on a hot day, you also don't have to see the lack of wind to know it when it's not there. Life without God's Spirit is not a life that we want. Church without God's Spirit is not a church that we want. Leaders without God's Spirit are not leaders that we want. You know it when you see it, and you know it when you don't see it. I challenge us to become as open as we can be to the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing through our community of faith. Would you pray with me? Oh God, would you be kind enough to grant us more of your Holy Spirit in our individual lives where we most need your Spirit blow through our lives? in our families, in our friendships, in our small groups and Bible studies, in our leaders, in this church, in your world. For your sake, Lord, we pray for more of your Holy Spirit. For your glory, not for ours, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to today's Sermon of the Week. Be sure to follow us online at fbcdecatur.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a blessed week.